Hey everyone, welcome to Maucast episode 8. We're in, this is our culture stream. We're going to be talking about mentor figures today. Um, and uh, why they need to die in a lot of cases, actually. That's my little spin on that. So, um, you got me, just like normal today. You got Patrick, and we actually have, for the very first time, a guest. Uh, Eric Tanell. do you want to introduce yourself? Perfect. Thanks. And I mean, kind of close, you know, accounting is marketing adjacent. Oh yeah. It's uh, the most fun thing in the world, you know, crunching numbers all day. <laughs> I get paid well. I don't enjoy it. All right, Patrick, do you want to kick us off? What's the, this, this topic was your idea. So why don't you, uh, why don't you lead us? figure uh is you know you can think of this as more so like gandalf yoda obi-wan master ugwe those kind of like really wise figures that guide the protagonists or the main characters throughout the um the story now typically um this will take four different um kind of forms so you have like the wise master so like yoda mr miyagi those kind of characters um the wise man just not necessarily a master in something, but like just a very wise uh, figure. So you can see like Gandalf or, or Dumbledore that kind of overlaps a lot with, with the master uh, in a lot of ways uh, you can see. Uh, and then you have the other two that are a little bit less so of this direct archetype, but kind of spinoff. So you'll see like a counselor kind of figure or an experienced or an experienced friend who isn't necessarily super wise, but um, has a little bit more experience in whatever field that they're dealing with. Right. And one of the most common things that I see that are interesting, now there's like a seven or so characteristics of these characters, but something I really want to focus in on are the fact that typically, now this is not always the case, uh, and there are cases where these characters can be female, but typically they're male, which I think is very interesting and gives us an idea of what masculinity properly understood might look like, um, as well as uh, a lot of the time they're, they're kind of oriented around some kind of sacrifice that they do, uh, like James was saying, that is typically expressed as them dying. Uh, and that can be viewed as them kind of dying so then the protagonist or main character can kind of continue on their story and use that as either a turning point for their own development or as some kind of plot device that kind of moves them along into a more full-fledged character that takes full agency, right? And um, so those two are really ideas that I want to really touch on um, a little bit. And then I want to kick this over to to Tanel and just a couple of seconds here, uh, after I just put forth a little a uh, little idea I have. So when it comes down to the idea that a lot of these characters are typically masculine, what I'm seeing is this distinction between like the feminine and the masculine when it comes to storytelling. So in our culture, and and this is pretty uh, constant since you know the first stories were ever told in like ancient Greece that we have knowledge of, so, like. Uh, the Iliad, the Odyssey, things of that nature, right? The masculine seems to be kind of this idea of uh, like civilization or or progression through the development of like kind of the human experience, right? So that's why we'll express this through Father Time, right? Like Father Time is expressed as a masculine figure as opposed to Mother Earth, who in this sense, the feminine then uh, kind of represents 
a more natural aspect or a more wild aspect, right? Because nature necessarily isn't what's normal. Nature is kind of this wild kind of powerful, mysterious kind of form. And this is kind of, I think, what we see in a little bit of the dichotomy here between uh, the more female uh, and more feminine kind of mentor figures as opposed to the more masculine kind of figures who are a lot of the times guiding these characters through already established systems which kind of then gets back to this idea of like the masculine being more like civilization and society as opposed to, to wilderness. So I want to kick that over to, to Tanel because I know he's got some interesting thoughts on this. Um, do you, uh, you, you wanted to talk about Raz al Ghul, if I, if I remember correctly, how do you think that that fits in here? Or do you think that that kind of breaks the mold that I've set up? Well, I think when everyone talks about a mentor, they usually think the protagonist likes to follow in the mentor's footsteps, but that's not always the case. A lot of times the main character likes to, um, portray or symbolize their mentor just like them like a reflection of themselves but usually typically always they always kind of switch over to a different side so they're not exactly like them but very different when it comes to Rash al Ghul he was a perfect mentor and he really inspired Bruce Wayne to become uh, Batman there were a lot of quotes in Batman Begins if I remember um, if you become more than a man um, and you stick yourself to an ideal and dedicate to yourself then you become something more. You become a legend, and there are a lot of different stepping, like stepping stones, in Bruce Wayne's story that really put him towards Batman, and that's one of the things that really boosted him up to that level. Yeah, no, I mean, and that that's very interesting that you're adding that in there because, as opposed to like you were saying that, you know, uh, take um, take uh, like uh, Obi Wan for example. I think that's a great yes. example. The co contrast against Razal Ghul. Luke, in a lot of ways, wants to be like Obi-Wan and, and uses Obi-Wan as kind of like, what would Obi-Wan do in this situation? Or, or you know, how would how would he guide me, right? Whereas Batman, in, in the case of the, he goes, I don't want to do what Ra's al Ghul does. So what is Ra's al Ghul going to do? I'm going to do the opposite of that, right? So in a lot of ways, he's still getting a lot of advice, but he just kind of rejects the advice as kind of a foil to what he actually wants to do, which I think is an interesting addition to this idea of like a mentor character because it breaks the mold in such a way on the surface level that makes it seem rather different, but then also still kind of follows the, the idea of a mentor. James, what do you, what do you think about, what do you think about those two, uh, those two concepts? Uh, wow. So, okay. Really, really deep look into this here. <laughs> um, so yeah, so you've described kind of two types of mentors right now one where you want to they want to fall in the footsteps one where it's almost the opposite i'm not familiar with batman eric i'm sorry i'm i'm not a dc person uh i'm a marvel person but Lame. but um i wanted to insert kind of a different uh aspect of the mentor character and here in um avatar the last airbender uncle iroh where um no one in the uh, zuko uh, kind of wants to be like his uncle, but really no one in the series is intentionally trying to do the opposite of what Iroh says or learning from Iroh's mistakes uh, or directly trying to emulate him, but he more serves as the as the emotional catalyst for almost every single in that character growing either directly or through his nephew Zuko when Zuko joins uh, flips and joins the uh, gang of protagonists. So, uh, 
and then of course Iro doesn't have to die. Whereas I'm I'm not sure about some of these other ones, but um, Dumbledore dies. Uh, Gandalf the Gray dies. He does come back, but he dies. Um, yeah. So that's that's an, a different kind of uh, kind of mentor character. Uh, Patrick, I want you to dive in a little bit more about this idea of uh, masculinity versus femininity in um, mentors, though, because I think that went a little bit over my head. Yeah, sure. So, so when we're talking about when it comes to like literature, um, it's different than what we would view societally as like a masculine trait or a feminine trait. That's a lot more malleable um, when it comes to uh, like you know social roles and things of that nature, right? And they change based on culture, um, as well as so is this idea of like the masculine and the feminine when it comes to how we tell stories, right? And those stories kind of a lot of the ways reinforce kind of these these kind of notions. So they are tied together, but they are distinct uh, in their own ways. So masculinity is not necessarily being a guy per se. Like you can be a very masculine woman or you can be a very feminine man. Like, and and, you know, those are still um, two distinct characteristics. When it comes to storytelling, a lot of the times you'll see similar things and ideas that represent the same stuff. So you'll see recurring symbols throughout stories. So a lot of the time we'll see, light or or white you know in the sense of like purity right like that a lot a lot of times represent the good side per se right we want to do it like that whereas like darkness or 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 color black right will represent the bad side right in this kind of idea so you'll see like a lot of you know in Yu-Gi-Oh cards you'll see the light characters are usually more fairies or or like angels or stuff and then the dark characters would be like fiends and demons right so like that's supposed to be a kind of a juxtaposition that we have very culturally um, that represents in a lot of our art, all right? And some of the more interesting characters like Batman, right, will take the darkness and turn it into something good, right? Which is which is kind of his power for all intents and purposes. He turns around Ra's al Ghul's darkness, kind of bundles it up into his moral framework and then pushes it out and, and does that. Can you talk a little bit more about that, Eric? Like, because you have a better understanding of uh, of Batman. And then, I, then I'll jump back into like this kind of masculine versus feminine because I want to establish this concept first. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're getting everything right here. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, you're, you do, you did your homework about Batman. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. So, to a, a normal Gotham citizen, Batman's very controversial because some people might see him as like a vigilante who's evil, especially when you associate dark with something bad and light with something good. But Batman uses the dark as a really great advantage, mostly so criminals fear him because that's when a lot of crime happens at night and by the way james i really liked uh your comparison with uncle iroh there once you brought him up i had to slide this over a little bit because it's an avatar themed painting that's (laughs) that is amazing are you are you painting that uh yeah i'm going to i'm stenciling it in and then i'm gonna like paint it later that looks really good that that is that is amazing i love that i started this in january by the way and it's been sitting here for a really long time (laughs) Season, season three Zuko hair. I'm totally for that. Oh, yeah. Course, season three everything. But, yeah, I really liked how you were comparing uh, Uncle Iroh to Zuko because Iroh is basically an older reflection of Zuko because Iroh was a bad guy. He was invading Ba Sing Se and everything because he thought that was his destiny. But then it really took something traumatic of his to really enlighten himself. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I think that I think that I think that you're hitting on good points here. Um, and which is one thing I want to I want to bring up 
is a lot like is like I was talking about b- before. Like a lot of these characters, all these mentor characters are, are masculine. Like Uncle Iroh, right? Is a very masculine character. Um, but he's he kind of exudes a more quiet masculinity. So there's like different, you know, if we really want to dive deep in here, there's different ways that masculinity can kind of be expressed. So um take Uncle Iroh and then take uh, Nicholas Fumel from um uh, Magical Beasts and Where to Find Them, the movie. I don't know. Have you guys seen that? It's been a while. I don't okay. But yeah, I've, I've seen, I've seen it, very but it's quiet been a while. And like kind of more reserved, but also very strong internally, right? He's like, he's got a kind of role that he plays. And the quiet masculinity is something that kind of dips a little bit more into femininity, but still is distinctly masculine in the way that it approaches society uh, as kind of a framework to to operate within. Because like I'm talking about before, you know, we have Mother Earth versus Father Time. You know, Father Time is more of like a civilization, societal kind of constructed idea, whereas Mother Earth is a lot more natural. So, and this comes into the idea that mothers are are kind of like naturally have mom instincts, whereas guys have to work to become more fatherly, right? Like, I think we would all agree that mothers are typically better taking care of children than dads in that that kind of sense, which is interesting. and when it comes down to this like natural kind of wild strength that we find in femininity um, as opposed to masculinity. So like, let's take Ray, for example, from star Wars. I think this is a really good example of narrowing down this concept. Ray doesn't really have formal training in the ways that like Anakin does. Right. Or, or I would even say Luke, even though Luke only had like three days where he had a green person on his back, just running around through the swamp. But like, for instance, they had some level of training, whereas Ray has this really wild strength about her, which is very traditionally feminine. And and it's not to say that like women are stronger or men are stronger. They exhibit different types of strength um, in that sense. So when we're looking at these mentor characters, because of their age, a lot of the time they exhibit this, this kind of more masculine, kind of reserved, um, kind of distinct societal strength that they have and an understanding of the system so you'll see like gandalf explaining how things work to frodo or you'll see dumbledore explaining how things work to harry potter right so these characters because of their their role that they play they typically will trend more masculine even gladriel in lord of the ring who is a female character will exude some masculine characteristics even though she still does exude feminine characteristics such as, uh, I don't know if you guys saw um, the last, um, the Battle of the Five Armies movie, where she like goes like full, just like blown wild with Gandalf and like she's just exploding everywhere, right? But then she still also is offering this kind of masculine uh, guidance in like a little bit more of a constrained fashion. So that's kind of where I'm going at with these. It's still a developing idea. I'm not, it's not my field. I just have, a, have an interest in it. But uh, Eric, do you find this convincing uh, what I'm putting forth here? Do you see any holes in this? No, I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Um, when it comes to like a more woman m- mentor, um, sometimes you don't really get a vibe of masculinity or femininity. Um, like, for example, I'm going to use another comic reference here because it's kind of <laughs> like a bias. Uh, you look at the ancient one from Doctor Strange and everything. When you were talking about masculinity versus femininity, I thought about that. And the ancient one doesn't really give masculine or feminine vibes at all. It's just very neutral. Mm-hmm. So that, I mean, that's interesting because I, I think that's a really good example. Um, could we then say that these two traits are kind of canceling each other out, like a positive and a negative in that sense? I wouldn't say like one's positive and one's negative. 
And yeah, not positive and negative in the sense of yeah, like yeah. Oh, one's okay. bad, one's good, right? Yeah, but okay, like okay. in the it. sense of like uh, contradicting ideals that then will mash together, or or how about like an acid and a base, and then they come together yeah, and they yeah. form like a neutral compound. I see, okay. I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, depending on the mentor and depending on how they do it, they could give a masculine or feminine vibe, or sometimes neither. It really, de it really depends on how uh, the story is written. Well, okay. I, want, I want to jump in here because so this, you know, kind of leads back to whether or not they have masculine feminine vibes. There's both exist in most of the characters that we've been talking about, um, you know, the reserved side versus kind of the kind of the more aggressive and dictating side. Um, the principle of everyone going to dig into my theology minor here. The principle of, of yin yang. Um, you, you see this in a lot of mentor characters, both in the traits they exhibit and the character's past itself. Take, you know, going back to Iroh, for example. Iroh was a war criminal. He <laughs> laid siege to a city, you know, his the, in, in a battle that his thousands of soldiers, including his own son, died. And that's what changed him. He had a terrible past, and that's what led him to, you know, to the light um, as it were, in in the modern day when we see Avatar: The Last Airbender, and um, it's this it's this conflicting dichotomy within each of these mentors, which makes them interesting, in my opinion. Uh, because so compare that to someone, for example, to say uh, Luke in the sequel trilogy, where my personal opinion is he's he's brought in as theoretically a mentor but then does a terrible job at it just doesn't mentor basically at all uh because that th that dichotomy doesn't really exist in him it's they they make an attempt but it, i don't think it comes across very well um i of course have my biases against the sequels however so Patrick, yeah, I, 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 I want i want your take on um on bad mentors as uh, as well as some of the better ones that we've mentioned sure 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 um so when it comes to a good mentor, a good mentor is a static character, okay? And what a static character means is effectively they're fully developed. Um, so when you come across Dumbledore, he's like 90 years old or something. I'm not entirely sure how old he is, but he's like really old. And everything that he's done is like is effectively built up to where he is now, and he doesn't really develop any further beyond that. Right, so their character uh, arc is done, basically. Yeah, so so a good mentor is a finished character arc and then only exists in the story to effectively guide the protagonist along whatever journey they're on, right? And the most interesting part of the book is the journey, or, or the movie, or whatever you're talking about, is always going to be the journey. The end point, like, you're like, oh, they made it. And then that's it, right? But, like, the journey is like, oh, you know, how does you know, Aang make it, you know, a long way? How does he learn firebending? How does he learn waterbending? What hurdles does he overcome and that's what makes the story interesting so if you just skip to the end it's like oh, all right well you did it you know it's like it's but like i want to see what happens right um so a bad mentor typically is a character whose arc is not yet finished okay and and a bad mentor is not necessarily poorly designed character but more so someone who's trying to operate in a mentor capacity but because their character arc is not finished yet they can't do that Okay. Right, and that's so, where that's where I think I think of Luke because yeah. Luke is still he's he's in the last stages of his character arc because he's very close to his death, um, 
but he's st he's still developing. I mean, you look mm -hmm. at his interaction with Yoda in the movie, the burning of the of the sacred text, and sacred um, text. Yeah, and he goes from, you know, because we see his development from the end of the sixth movie, and I guess we see him in the Mandalorian to almost killing his his nephew, losing the temple, go becoming a hermit, basically giving yeah. up on the galaxy, and he's still developing in the eighth movie when we see him um and i think that makes it to where he can't actually be a mentor because he himself isn't he's isn't not complete fit. yeah he needs more time in the oven um eric so so you know more about comic books how do you, do you think that there's any bad mentors in comic books in the sense of like incomplete characters that are trying to mentoring and you know of like maybe like batman with uh nightwing or something like that um i mean it, it depends on what type of comic you're talking about um they can be bad or good. A lot of different stories. There are a lot of universes in there. Like, it, you could take... There are multiple Robins, you know? Like, there's mm -hmm. Damian Wayne. There's Dick Grayson. There's Jason Todd. All of them. Um, when you... Let's say you take Dick Grayson. He followed in Batman's footsteps very well. And Batman seemed to do... Did, he did a really good job with Dick Grayson. He's known as, like, the perfect Robin and everything. Yeah. That's Nightwing, Nightwing right? He's yeah, that's Nightwing. Nightwing. Okay. He's, okay. he's the first Robin and everything. Um, so he's the perfect Robin, but you, you take someone like Jason Todd, he did look up to Batman, but he thought some of the things he did was flawed, like Batman's no killing rule and everything. Yeah, because he becomes Red Hood, right? Yes, he does. Yeah, okay. And he's not necessarily a villain. Um, he just has a different way of getting rid of criminals, because his philosophy is you can put a criminal's way in jail, but they just break out and come back and everything. And that seems to happen <laughs> all the time in comics. Yeah, typically. So... Uh, when you take any type of mentor, someone shouldn't be able to look up to them and do exactly what they do every time. They should be able to look up to them, learn from them, and maybe if they have any flaws, in their opinion, they can twist it so they can be their own person. And that's what I think a mentor is supposed to do to their student. But when it comes to Jason Todd, his um, depending on your own viewpoint, he's doing something better or you know worse. Yeah, no, I think that's a good that's a good point to make in the sense that. Um... And I think this, I think this does build though into this, like this masculine idea of like civilization in the sense of, so let, let's assume that, you know, these characters represent bigger ideals than they do, which like, you know, it's kind of crazy, but you know, let's assume that they do. Um, so you take Batman, let's say that he represents the old society. Okay. So like the old way of operating. Right. And then you have someone like Jason Todd that comes in and he looks at this and he says, 90% of what you do is right. 90% of what you do is great and 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 functions but there's this 10 percent that really isn't necessary anymore or it's not working what i'm going to do is i'm going to take this 90 percent that you do correctly and i'm going to adjust the other 10 percent, you know and i'm going to move on from there and kind of and then build and i think I, I think we do see this in a lot of different characters and and how they interact with their mentors in the sense that they have their own personality added on to the wisdom or rather the reverse where the wisdom is added on to the personality so they gain knowledge from the past, you know, past civilization, past society, history, tradition, maybe we might even say. And then they take that and then they mold that into whatever the situation demands, right? Do you think that that would be a pretty accurate description of this? I think that's pretty accurate, too. And over time, things progress and they don't really stay the same and everything. If you take a mentor or you take a student to their mentor and they became, become that exact same person, there's not a lot of progression there. Like... Let's take uh, Tenzin from Legend of Korra and Aang. 
Tenzin tried to be the reflection of Avatar Aang himself for his entire life. <laughs> but the moment he realized he's not a reflection of his father, he is Tenzin, he becomes a lot more enlightened and he wants to, you know, he becomes a better himself. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's pretty, pretty accurate. I mean, um, I want to bring up rebels as well. If we're just bringing up, you know, all of these spinoff shows, uh, rebels. Um, I, I can't remember the name of the, the main Jedi in it, but he essentially spends a majority of the show uh, uh, like trying to act like his old master and trying to basically operate off of those same ideals. And he doesn't really adjust until, I would say this, he doesn't start adjusting until the end of season one where he battles the Inquisitor. And then you know, obviously like 18 more Inquisitors appear because that's what they do. But um, yeah, uh, Kanan Jarrus, that's what his name is. Um but he doesn't really fully become enlightened until after season two where he fights Darth Vader and just gets absolutely destroyed. Um, just like within about two seconds. I don't think he makes it Darth Vader. I think he gets killed, uh, not killed, but he gets blinded by Darth Maul who makes an appearance. Um, but yeah, so like he's, he's just like completely destroyed and he doesn't really gain a lot of wisdom until he meets this like this force creature thing. And it kind of guides him to, to let go of a lot of like his past kind of constraints and embrace a little bit more of the dark side too, because this this force creature is like a gray Jedi kind of creature kind of thing. So it operates in both both uh, Sith and and Jedi Jedi ways. And he kind of embraces a little bit of like the Sith like power and like that kind of stuff. But he also then folds that into this Jedi teachings of kind of like letting go and relaxing, and that allows him to then like break through all of the barriers that were were preventing him from being a proper mentor. Then to um, the main character Ezra Bridger, um, and then after, like coincidentally, after that happens, like a season later, he dies. <laughs> so, so after he achieves his full arc and is no longer a failed mentor and is now an, actually a proper mentor and guides Ezra, he basically bites the dust, uh, as far as I'm aware. Uh, I could be remembering it improperly. He might survive, but I'm pretty sure he bites the dust. It's been a couple years since it happens, uh, since it's uh, since the show has happened, but. Um, it is it is a good show, and I think that really does hit on hit on a lot of what we've been talking about so far. So you bring up the the, the fact that you think he dies. Um, does he die? I I don't know. I haven't watched Rebels, but <laughs> I, 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 so I had no idea what you were talking about. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> no worries. No worries. But this this does. I want. I do want to uh, ask the question that. Yeah, he does die. He does die. Okay, so okay. he dies. We see in a, a lot. Like I mentioned earlier other mentors who die. Um, and it tends to be as a catalyst for the main character to get them to either to, to move further in their own uh, character development or to kind of move out of the mentor's shadow, I think. Um, so one of the reasons, focusing on that second reason, are there any mentors that you guys can think of that kind of steal the limelight from the main character? So like, not Batman, for example, because Batman is the main character and yeah, just so happens to be the mentor to, to Robin. But, um, like, let's take Gandalf, for example. Gandalf is the mentor character, but also kind of steals the show from a lot of the other main characters. Uh, so, what do, what do you guys what do you guys think about that? Uh, uh, Eric, you go first. You go first for this one. I mean, I think characters like Gandalf and um, Iroh really steal the show, but I can't really think of any other examples to use. Um, I would say, um, so I'm kind of looking in the sense of like what characters resonate more than uh, than the main character does to the audience. And I would say a majority of mentors uh, really, uh, all of the examples I can think of really kind of do that. 
And I think that this does get to a, a bigger point that I think James is going to hit on. But uh, like Master Uwe, for example, in uh, Kung Fu Panda, you know, one, two, three, he resonates so much more with the audience. Stoic the Vast in How to Train Your Dragon. I think when you think back on that movie, not only do you think of the relationship between uh, Hiccup and Toothless, which seems to be its own character, their entire relationship is like its own little character, right? Uh, but I think also Stoic and what he represents um, also uh, is steals the limelight a little bit in the sense of he's a more resonating character to the audience than, than Hiccup is in some cases. Um, I, you know, obviously Gandalf, Dumbledore, like what you're bringing up as well. I would say Yoda, Obi-Wan Kenobi resonate a little bit more with the audience. Let's say in uh, uh, Phantom Phantom Menace, I would say Qui-Gon Jinn resonates more than Obi-Wan does because he's he's operating that mentor capacity. And I think the reason why is because in a lot of these stories, the main character is a self-insert for the audience. So it's like how we view this fantasy world or fictional world in all cases, I mean, it's all fiction. So however we view this fictional world is through the lens of the main character and them exploring and understanding what's going on. And a lot of the ways that world is then explained to us and the main character through this mentor. Like how the world operates is explained to this mentor, how the civilization progresses, how time has essentially gone about is explained through this mentor. So to us, this character operates more so as a father figure in a lot of ways and like a positive role model for the audience as opposed to some negative role model, which is why in cases of failed mentors like Luke Skywalker, it, it even it, it upsets us more than it really should because it's like we have a deadbeat dad or something like that that's not really doing what he's supposed to be doing. Like we're like, what are you, you're supposed to help me out here, bud. Like, what are you doing, right? So that brings- I, think that, I think that that really gets, uh, gets a little bit more to that point and these mentors that steal the limelight and why they do. Right, and that brings up a really good point. Um, you're you know talking about this, and all I can think about is Obi Wan Kenobi in episodes two and three. So, in two and three, Obi Wan Kenobi is a mentor, theoretically a failed one, based on how Anakin ends up. Yeah. And um, and, and, and understand the fact that his arc's not finished yet. Anyway. Right. You know, he's going to be a failed mentor. Right, and that's that's my other point is he you know he steals the limelight. He's a failed mentor. His arc's not finished, but he's still a, a well-written character and someone that I think resonates a lot more with the audience than Anakin, which you brought up a good point that I never really thought of, is that Anakin really is a self-insert for um, for the audience members. So, how, like, I really want to focus in on, on Obi-Wan in the prequel trilogy here and how he ends up being a successful mentor in the original trilogy because I think that um, the way that Lucas wrote him in kind of encapsulates every um every step along the path to becoming the mentor that the story needs by being the mentor the story didn't need i guess <laughs> let's put it that way that uh eric eric what do you think about this this kind of idea i mean also i just i just wanted to say that um a lot of people uh, relate a lot more to the main characters because you look at the father figure or mentor, mm-hmm. super wise and everything. Uh, you can't really relate to that because sometimes you don't really know the answers to everything. But with the main character, you're on this journey with them, learning more and developing and everything. And you might be able to take your own experiences uh, along the way for the real world. Yeah, I think that is a good point. Yeah, I mean, um, we, we kind of understand the, the, the fact that us as the audience, we don't know everything anyway, just about like philosophical or, or wisdom related things. So we can relate with the main character and, and them learning these concepts as well. I think that's a good point. Yeah. 
So do you think that not having a mentor character in a story is a detriment or can can it work from a storytelling perspective? Because I think about some of the shows that I've been watching recently, um, a lot of anime, obviously, that uh, don't really have mentor characters per se. There's 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 background characters. You don't see them very often that they imply it's implied that they're mentoring the main character, but you don't see it on screen. So you don't get the benefit of going through that journey with the main character. Um, do you think that that takes away from the story um, or can you, can it work? Because I, I don't feel like it takes away from certain types of stories, but a lot of what we've been talking about here are kind of the grand saga type stories, not more of your um, run of the mill, you know, you you live with the character day to day rather than seeing them from one action set piece to another, like uh, the comic books, Harry Potter, Avatar: The Last Airbender, and um, Star Wars. It can definitely uh, yeah, work. Yeah, go first. Yeah, the, it can definitely work. Um, but if that were to happen, the main character is still is they're gonna struggle a lot harder than if they did have a mentor and everything because they have to learn through everything themselves. Or they might run across some people that might give them some advice, but I wouldn't exactly call them mentor figures because they're just there for a brief second. Um, if you use a mentor figure, they're gonna help them reach their character arc a lot faster. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good point as well. As I mean, it's it's uh, they're gonna really struggle, and I think that not only the the character is gonna really struggle, I think the audience, you know, whoever's reading, watching, or or consuming in some way, is gonna really struggle with understanding what's going on. You know, if there's like a lot of assumptions that are built into this character that aren't exactly explained to the audience what's going on, then they're going to struggle to not only understand why the character has these motivations, but also understand like, I, how does this world operate? Like, you know, what rules, what special rules exist, what makes this distinct? And then also, you know, understanding where the character is going to end up or where the character is going. Like, what's the journey that they're going on? Um, I mean, I, I could see a situation where there's like no mentor character where the mentor character dies really early on uh, as a catalyst for them, the story to, to progress. But besides that, you know, it's, it's going to be a little bit difficult. So, I mean, I'm thinking, for example, um, I know that Patrick, you haven't watched this. Eric, have you watched uh, Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Super? Uh, no, not really. I kind of know it, but it's been <laughs> years. I used to watch a little bit of abridged when I was like, 12 with my sisters abridged is great unfortunately they're not yeah they're not doing the boo saga but so you see this in drag in in dragon ball master roshi is a mentor character he's there through the entire time uh all three series but after like the midway point of dragon ball he doesn't play the a major role in the way that uh of a recurring mentor the way that iroh or gandalf uh, or dumbledore for example do um and then so Goku goes through and continues to develop on his own. I think that anime like Dragon Ball can get away with it because it's a fighting anime. It's really you're jumping from one fight to the next. So you can get these awesome action uh, action set piece battles. Um, and that's really what the story thrives on. But Dragon Ball, for having run so long, still has to they, you still have to develop characters you still have to make people care about it because otherwise you can do a 12 episode anime where people just beat the crap out of each other uh you you dump 50 million dollars into the animation everyone thinks it looks cool and they forget about it in six months dragon ball has been going on for 30 years and you can't do that if you can't get people attached to the characters well dragon ball essentially does not have a mentor character uh 
Master Roshi comes back a little bit in the last arc uh, as a mentor character to Goku and Krillin. But beyond that, in most of Z and almost all of Super, you don't really see him mentoring the characters. Um, so I think that shows like that can get away with it. I don't know about show a lot of the other shows that we focused on so far. Um, Eric, have you seen Code Geass by chance? Nope. Is that an anime? That is an anime. Nope, not at all. I don't watch anime really. Okay. You're I just... did watch. I, yeah, I did watch Spirited Away a couple days ago though. Okay. Well, you're slightly. You're disappointing me slightly less. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, I've seen Spirited Away, so it's like, does it really count as anime? <laughs> anime. Well, if I've seen it though, like that's what my point. <laughs> you notice I'm not even asking Patrick if he's seen these. Yeah, like, no, he's things. just kind of really me because <laughs> I'm just, um, you know, like, you're throwing out all these Japanese words and I have no idea what you're talking about. So. <laughs> In Code Geass, for example, it's like 50 episodes, two seasons. Not Watch it if you want to. It's it's a really good anime from... like It's got a lot of political drama in it, um, as well as action set pieces. The characters are drawn really weird, but anyway. Uh, that's a show that I was thinking about. Actually has uh, a, young, a female mentor. Because I was thinking about, okay, these shows that don't have mentors. A lot of the things I've been watching recently, like Dragon Ball. But... Uh, and I've thought about Kogias. Kogias has a mentor in um, C who she's female. She's centuries old and uh, she doesn't overshadow the main character by any means, but kind of plays as the sidekick to the main character and introduces and walks him through a world that he never knew existed and helps break down the mystery for the audience. Um, and to tie this back into Patrick's original point, um, represents that, you know, that, that father time kind of breaking down, uh, the world for the main character that they, that they didn't understand, that they didn't know existed and yet is not kind of the stereotypical old man with a white beard, uh, that we've kind of universally talked about today. Yeah, um, let, let's let's go back to uh, like comic book characters because I think that right now those are the new, that's like the new Western style, right? So like in the yeah yeah back in the day that like westerns was like the big thing. Now it's like we have comic book characters that are being brought to the big screen. Eric, how do you see since you're a lot more versed in this? How do you see these comic book characters, uh, especially like the mentor characters, but just in general comic book characters? How do you see them being brought from comic books to the big screen? What like differences do you see, and do you think that that's you know because they're comic book characters, they're they articulated a little bit different in the comic books than the film? Or do you think that it's just like the the, pe the producers aren't really getting it or the directors aren't getting it? Uh, I think that producers do get it, but sometimes they there does need to be a change in things and sometimes they change it and it might not seem like a good idea, but it works anyways. Like for the ancient one, if I remember, I'm pretty sure that's supposed to be an Asian dude. Yeah, it's supposed to be some like old Asian guy. Yeah. Like, so uh, when, yeah. when people heard it was just a white woman playing it, they thought, oh, it's whitewashing everything. But Tilda Swinton did a very good job portraying ancient one. So no one brings up the fact that it's like whitewashed or anything like that. Yeah, I, I mean, and that's that's a that's a pretty good point in the sense of like how how we're kind of reacting in our culture today as well and i think that that i think that goes a little bit deeper can you can you talk more about how we're, how we're trying to adapt these older comic books and like how that's kind of how that's being uh, 
addressed modern day, like along the lines of you know the whitewashing with the the ancient one and that kind of stuff? Um, I mean they they take a lot of older things from the comic books and make it a little bit more modern. Like uh, from the first Iron Man, I'm pretty if I remember his origins is he was kidnapped by I think it was the Chinese or something like <laughs> Asian. Or really? Something. Yeah. But in this Iron Man movie, he was kidnapped by like Middle Easterns and everything like that to make it more realistic for our current okay, time. So it's like more relevant um, yeah. to our time. Okay. And not a lot of people will know that too, so it's not going to be a huge change, and they won't really fight about it. Yeah, I'm looking it up right now to see uh to see uh, how he was. Uh... I'm pretty sure it was the Chinese, by the way. Oh, have you ever thought about? Um... Yeah, he was. Uh, he was injured by a booby trap and captured by enfor- enemy forces led by Wong Chu. I'm assuming that that guy is Chinese based on his name. <laughs> did, you say, did you sneeze? Bless you. Yeah, yeah, that must have been Wong Chu. <laughs> have you ever uh, thought about um, for like mentors a bad, like let's say a bad guy, but they're actually kind of right, like not just like in a different perspective, but. Like, I'm going to take the example. Have any of you read the graphic novels for Avatar? No. No, I have not. Okay. So, in the first graphic novel, it's called The Promise. And this takes place right after Season 3 and everything. So, they're trying to get back the uh, Fire Nation colonies. They don't know whether to give them to Earth Kingdom or have it stay with the Fire Nation. Because some of those colonies have been there for, like, almost a century. So, they're essentially Fire Nation. They're trying to figure out what to do. Zuko actually gets advice from Ozai in jail uh, for, like, he comes to see him all the time because Ozai is right about a lot of things that's going to happen. Like, the Earth Kingdom is about to go to war and everything because the king will seem weak. And Zuko doesn't really listen to him, but Ozai turns out to be right about a lot of different things. So have any of y'all thought of any other uh, bad people who are right? Not just in their own way, like, let's say Thanos or whatever. But they just end up being right. Like you're you're saying that they can read the situation better than like the main character. Yes. Okay, it's not like right morally, but like right about the events that are going to occur. Yes, yes. Okay, okay, okay. I just want to make sure I get the distinction there. Where it's like yeah, I, I'm terrible at explaining things. No, but, no, you're yeah. fine. You're fine. No, no, it's, it's, it's totally understandable. Um, I don't know, James. Do you have any? Do you have any ideas that you can you can think of? Yeah, I've got a couple, but they're anime examples. You want me to talk about them? <laughs> sure. I mean, is it going to be is it going to be Vegeta? Uh, no, Vegeta was not right. Vegeta's, Vegeta is, uh, he's a midget with a Napoleon complex. Let's put it that way. Um, you can't say that. That's a bad word. What, Napoleon? No, midget. <laughs> um, little people, come on. Yeah, yeah. Call them, uh, vertically challenged. Nah, he's not, he, you see that he has, like, another foot from his hair. Um, no, so, going back to Code Geass, um, so the main character's father is the emperor of Britannia who's trying to conquer the world and um oh what I can't remember the name of the weapon but it's this divine sword basically um he believes that there's too much lying pain destruction death in the world and the way to solve it would be to take away everyone's free will and prevent the march of time from moving forward kind of put the world in a in a static state um in this sense the and then the main character has the opposite opinion yet or you know he believes yes there's too much lying death destruction um the, the world is a bad place but believes that um by taking away free will 
and by stopping the forward march of time that you're not you're, you're taking away what it means to be human um you won't be able to grow love laugh you, you won't exist you as a person will not exist anymore really dialing in on that free will argument um in this case his father's not wrong about the problems that the world faces. It's his solution that the main character and in turn the audience should take problem with uh, or take issue with. But the, but the character managed to successfully identify the problem and come up with a solution that we may not necessarily agree with. But they, he was still right. And I mean, you talk, you, you know, Thanos, same exact thing. He, he identifies a problem. He's right. The problem exists. Is his solution correct to the main characters and to the audience? No, but he's he was still right. Um, that's my example. What do you got, Patrick? I, I don't have any example. <laughs> I think I think it makes sense that that would be like the case in the sense of like we have a naive main character, naive protagonist, so that they don't fully understand it, and they need like the mentor to explain it to them, and that's where like they come in. But um, I can't really think of. Um, anyone that like reads the situation better, maybe in RoboCop, the bad guys in that, like the, the evil corporation, in the sense of like understanding how the system works, which then counts against them in the sense of like, okay, well, you're right, and that the system works this way, but that means that we should just get rid of the system, right? you know, because like, it's that corrupt, right? Um, so that's the, that's the only thing I can come up with, um, because typically I, I would say a lot of these these kind of correct villains are are when they identify something um, it just gives us a reason to change it, you know, or to, or to change the situation in the sense of like, yes, you're right that this operates in such a way, but that doesn't mean that it is then morally acceptable to then take the quote unquote logical option at that point. Does that make sense? I guess. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. And so actually that, that made me think about two characters from star Wars, um, Admiral Thrawn and Emperor Palpatine. So both of them are considered "quote unquote" villains, but um, at least in the original expanded universe, Palpatine, for example, the reason that he, one of the reasons that he uh, brought, you know, militarized the Empire and was trying to conquer as much of the galaxy as possible, and basically set up the galaxy on a total war footing, even though they were just fighting a band of rebels at the time. Uh, was because of an extragalactic threat, the Yuzhen Vong, that was going to come in and basically wipe out all sentient life in the galaxy. And we see this take place 25 years, I believe, after um, episode 6 in the original Expanded Universe. And basically, the entire Yuzhen Vong arc was all the characters going, oh god, Palpatine was right. You know, they didn't agree with his methods for you know, subjugating the galaxy. They didn't agree with a lot of what he did, but in this one sense, Palpatine was correct. And the only reason they turned it back was because Palpatine had, or turned the uh, threat back was because a lot of the military resources that Palpatine developed still existed. And that's what allowed them, you know, Palpatine in, in a sense allowed uh, the galaxy to survive. Um, and then Thrawn, for example, he joined the empire, which he knew was evil and this is in the new uh, the new canon as well, joined the Empire, because, even though he knew, he knew they were evil, because he wants to protect his people from a uh, threat in the unknown regions. And he believes that this is the correct means to that end, uh, supporting Palpatine, supporting the Empire, because they are strong enough to help the Chiss Ascendancy, his people, turn back that threat. 
and both of them are considered villains in the stories in the overall story um but they're both they're both correct and in the end it's the, their actions help the help the galaxy survive a threat that they otherwise would not have if their characters didn't exist and take their actions in the first place Okay, that, I mean, that's an interesting breakdown. I did not understand a single thing that happened <laughs> with that because I don't understand the expanded universe. One There's a lot, of, a lot of books, man. A lot of books. There's a lot of BS is what it is. <laughs> There's a lot of BS in Star Wars, though. Um, but since we're closing in on on, uh, on one we need to get off here, I do want to ask a couple questions just generally with Eric on since we, have, since we brought him on here as a special guest. Um, Eric, when you look at modern culture and how kind of, you know, film, art, literature, you know... Uh, has been interacting where do you see it going where do you see do you see us continuing with like our current a focus on comic book characters do you see it going in some other direction what where, where do you see the things going nowadays i mean stuff like this is gonna keep on going there are there is a listless amount of stories to be told um one thing i do like that the mcu is doing right now is they're changing it up in the disney plus shows and they're really t- tackling down deeper issues in the Falcon and Winter Soldier. I don't know if you guys are going to watch that show at all. Uh, do you care if I spoil anything? No, go for it. Go for it. Okay. So there, there's a point where uh, they they meet this character who is actually a super soldier back in 1951. Is this U.S. agent or whatever his name is? No, no. This is someone okay. completely different. This is someone that Bucky knew back in like 1951 who was in the Winter Soldier. Apparently, there were other super soldiers, and there's one still alive. And he was basically the black version of Captain America, but he was basically like black is in not not like African American, but like black is in like the bad version or whatever. Right? No, no, I meant like African American. Oh, okay, <laughs> well, never mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> well, make sure uh, I clarified that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My bad, my bad. Gotcha. No but worries. Please. He he was just sentenced in jail because of a uh, what they're they're trying to tackle more like systemic racism in a way or more like grounded issues, and I kind of like their they're doing something that's a lot more realistic rather than, you know, like punchy, 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 a lot of CGI and everything. Okay. So do you see, do you see then culture effectively, just if I wanted to distill this down, um, going more into tackling like current social issues, as opposed to trying to really address these like more high minded ideals of like justice or things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because they've been doing this for years and everything. So I think trying to change the formula a bit to make it feel a lot more realistic, um, really just, does a good job of what they do i I mean that that, that's um i mean that's a good point in the sense that a lot of art is kind of based on um is temporally locked and based on uh like kind of what is going on in the culture and and essentially culture makes art and then art then subsequently makes more culture Mm -hmm. right um my only thought would be then if it's just that much focused on exactly what's happening you know to try to represent current political or social developments do you think that then uh as time progresses and those social and political developments are no longer relevant do you think that the, this art's going to be lost left behind or do you think it's still going to be relevant like what do you think about that i mean i still think it's going to be relevant but maybe not as much as it used to be okay so i mean it could be something like um uh how i think lord of the rings is inspired by world war ii or something like that Oh, well, yeah, really. you, know, you know, it's inspired by it, and but it still resonates today because the truths that are told in the story are eternal and they kind of will always resonate throughout history or something like that. Do you think like that? More like that? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay, okay, cool. 
Well, and I think that um, one thing contributing to that is there are some themes that uh, can transcend time. Um, when you're even when you're talking about issues of the issues of the day when the story was written, um, you know, themes like freedom uh, and whatnot can always resonate. You know, we read stories hundreds of years old and we still relate to them. Uh, whereas if there are some, there are some issues though that do lose relevance and therefore uh, the art form that they were, that it was created in uh, does kind of dissipate over time. Um, so Eric, what do you think, how is this going to affect how mentor characters are presented um, going forward? What do you, what, what is your thought on that? About specifically about talking about this podcast, or are you talking about like with how um, social, social um, and political stuff is influencing culture in this way that you're describing? Exactly. Like, how, how, how's that? Oh, okay. How's that going to affect mental I mean, it, it gives better perspectives on things uh, not a lot of people would think about. I don't know what else to say. So it's supposed to be like some kind of like advice for, for people struggling with mm -hmm. comprehending uh, current... And a lot of people are like focused on one type of mindset, but they never really expand it like outside the box to see a different point of view. Okay. I think, I think, that's, a good, uh, I think that's a good point to end then, uh, James. We're all good on that. Thank you so much for coming on, uh, Eric. It was great to have you. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, all right. And thank you, everyone, for uh, watching. I... Yeah, I just want to make one announcement, though. For next week, we're going to have another special guest on Monday, um, an expert in military policy and an expert in military politics. So make sure you guys look out for that kind of that podcast as well. Absolutely. And I would like to point out, we had our first chat today. Um, Mike says that we should talk about aliens. Unfortunately, we're out of time. We will absolutely talk about aliens at some point because, you know, the uh, Pentagon keeps releasing alien footage that um, no one seems to care about, which is surprising given our culture. But uh, we'll, we'll touch on that another time. Thank you all for watching. I had a great time. I hope you did too. Have a great Saturday, and uh, go ahead and follow us on Gab, Twitch, and uh, Minds. Um, smash